You're listening to episode 197 of the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about our core wound versus the sacred wound. Welcome to the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we explore how to use the science of psychology, Eastern spiritual practices like mindfulness and compassion, and the game-changing work of self-coaching so you can free your mind and free your life. I'm your host, Anna Verzoni. Okay, my friends, how are you? I have just wrapped up the Adventure Mastermind Retreat, our first one here on the Big Island. You know, we pulled up to our glamping spot. People got out of the van. We walked to our spot and freaking whales breached like right offshore. We just watched them mesmerize. They were just hanging out there. It was amazing, potent. I also lost my voice. You heard the beginnings of it before. I felt amazing, but my voice was like squeaky and tiny. So I used this speaker, like one of those cheesy tour guides wearing a mic. Anyway, it all worked out. Someone even forgot I had lost my voice for a bit by the end of the retreat. But you can still hear I have like, Phoebe's voice in that episode of Friends where she has this like throaty, sick voice, but people actually think she's a better singer with it. And then when she gets better, they stop coming to her shows. (laughs) Anyway, so this is my husky voice. We can enjoy it while it lasts. All right. Okay. Today, I have some goodness for you. We are going to dive into when our core wound becomes our sacred wound and how this understanding can help us stop obsessing over healing our damn core wound. All right, Rumi said, the wound is the place where the light enters you. The wound is the place where the light enters you. Our core wound is a psycho-spiritual wounding right? And it's one that's so painful for us that we form our primary childhood survival strategies as a reaction to it. And it's so painful that many aspects of what we might call our personality and our sensitivities are deeply rooted in it. And this is different than the ways we suffer in daily life or even when a traumatic event happens that's not related to our core wound. So a core wound can include trauma, but a traumatic event doesn't have to include a core wound. So in the model we use here, our core wound arises not just from an event, but from the meeting of a pre-existing innate vulnerability, pre-existing innate vulnerability or sensitivity we have, and one or more wounding events. So This is a bit different from some models of core wounds you may have read about where the core wound is characterized by events that happen and nothing prior per se. So this model suggests we all arrive into this body with a predisposition towards a sensitivity that makes us more vulnerable to the core wound. Then the sentinel event or events happen, the events amplified by the sensitivity that we arrived with. It's like we're born with this sensitivity that makes the core wound practically inevitable. 
And in a really simplified example, we can look at how maybe for one person growing up with like strict parents who yelled a lot, like they can be like, well, that that was a challenge, yet it was something that child who doesn't have a sensitivity towards the yelling and environment, maybe they could process and manage it without a lot of personal identification with those challenges about, you know, what it means for who they are and their lovability and whatnot. You know, this might be the person who's like, yeah, you know, my parents were strict, but I still knew that they they loved me. However, another child, perhaps with the sensitivity towards something activated by strict parents or yelling or not feeling safe in their own home with their primary caregivers, they may feel unloved or unseen. They may be living in true fear. Now, this is not to say that the degree of a given trauma is always related to someone's innate sensitivity. There are events that in and of themselves are traumatic, no matter the sensitivity of the individual. However, this episode is about the core wound and not trauma in a generalized sense. So in the model we're working with, which I've seen hold true in my practice, we're born with these sensitivities and our core wound can be activated by events that converge with those sensitivities and vulnerabilities. Whereas in someone without the sensitivity, the same event wouldn't be linked to their core wound and likely not have the same intensity of impact. And I think that because of the language being used here, it's important to also clarify that this does not mean someone who gets deeply affected by an event is just too sensitive and needs to toughen up. We've established in prior episodes that this is like Like asking someone to be less sensitive is like asking someone who's born five foot six to get taller. It's not a thing we can just change. We've also established that these sensitivities are a gift and our core wound actually holds the secrets of our soul. I've found that our core wound, when explored in this way, it's also inevitably linked to our superpower, our soul purpose, our sacred destiny. Now. When we choose to experientially re-enter our core wound during our journeys, and I just don't mean psychedelic journeys, I mean on this journey of a lifetime, really, our ego is shifted away from a socially-based ego towards soul. And this, my friends, is when the core wound becomes a sacred wound. So more on that in a bit. Now, Working with the core wound isn't simple or easy because we're diving into like our darkest shadows. And in order to avoid re-traumatizing ourselves while doing this sacred wound work, we want to make sure we only go there when we have enough, even if it's just temporary, enough stability and social or therapeutic support to allow this process to even be of benefit. Otherwise, we can do more harm than good. You know, this is why I require an application as well as interviews for the Adventure Mastermind. It's why I even turn people away because they may still be candidates for other types of support and programs I have. But for doing this kind of sacred wound work, we want to make sure that people have a foundation so they aren't re-traumatized or destabilized in the process. We also want to make sure that someone enters into this work without substance addictions and other dependencies that make accessing their authentic selves even more challenging. You know, I don't consider sort of what we see 
often is like, you know, caffeine or nicotine use as a barrier to this per se in most cases. But if someone has a substance abuse disorder that's impacting their capacity to be present with their emotions and body, like maybe alcohol abuse disorder, we really need to ask if this is going to be beneficial to explore at this time. My experience is that if someone's actively struggling with substance abuse, it's best to address that first. And this, of course, is unrelated to the potential use of psychedelics and healing addiction. So I just wanted to put that out there because there's a growing body of amazing research in that area. But I'm just talking about in terms of diving head on into this sacred wound work. Ideally, we are addressing the substance abuse issues first. And it's also helpful if we have an awareness, appreciation, and even affection, self-compassion towards our protectors, like our loyal soldiers, our escapists, our wounded children. And if we're still struggling with substance abuse, it's hard to even access our loyal soldier or other protectors since the substances quiet them down, often quite effectively in the moment, which is why we can easily habituate to them, right? So let's say we've established that we are ready. Then we start to notice that we find one particular memory or group of memories that are uniquely and exquisitely painful. And this is often a memory that's happened really early in life and we experience it as a trauma so big that we form many protective survival strategies and behaviors and identities from that. And this memory might not seem remarkable to someone else. You know, the one comment a teasing brother made about our thighs or the way the youngest child in the family always got the attention. You know, others might say, wasn't that normal? The time a painting we did say got thrown out because it was too sexual. Feeling like we don't belong in our family, even though everyone seemed to love us. Or parents saying we aren't smart enough or some kind of birth trauma. But because of our sensitivities, this particular event or events landed in us deeply. But the event could also be objectively traumatic, sexual assault, physical, verbal, or emotional abuse, having an alcoholic parent who blames us for their suffering, the death of a loved one or of a parent at a young age, a sibling with cancer, or an insecure and jealous mother that sees us as a threat to our marriage, a medical trauma from being really sick. So while most of these are examples of single events, usually the core wound is a pattern of hurtful events or a dysfunctional dynamic in one or more key relationships. So no matter what environment we grew up in, even if we're one of the few lucky ones who are from a healthier family, each of us still has a core wound. And this isn't something to wish away nor is it something to assume is just random. You know, Bill Plotkin writes, some say that the soul orchestrates the wounding to catalyze a special type of personal development, not possible without it, one that requires a trauma for its genesis. So it is uniquely ours for a reason. Now, let me clarify what I said earlier about a core wound becoming a sacred wound. It makes that shift when we start to experientially explore the core wound because that exploration is what alchemizes it into 
a source of self-knowledge and insight. And when we further explore this now sacred wound, we start to surrender to the grief and the fear that we find in those memories at the center of the wound. We're no longer distancing ourselves from what we uncover there, which is often what we do when we're buffering with distractions or substances. On the most recent retreat of the Adventure Mastermind, we did an exercise where participants told their old story and then wrote a new life story, right? And shared that with the group. We really dig out the roots of who we are, not just what's obvious, but who we are at the deepest levels, all aspects of us. And this requires a death of sorts, right? A death of our old story and a birth of our soul-based story. The hero and heroine's journey and beyond, the butterfly in the cocoon, the death of the caterpillar, the dissolution. And this mystical, mythical, epic story, our soul song, is only revealed by our sacred wound. Which is why when we're doing this work, the goal isn't to heal it or to put a bandage on it. In fact, the sacred wound isn't meant to heal. It can't heal. It's always with us, a life lesson. You know, I was coaching as a guest in someone else's program and one participant asked me, so when does it end? Does it ever end? And from the look on her face and the urgency in her voice, I knew what she wanted to hear, but I had to tell the truth. And so I said, no, it it doesn't end. It's always there. And I could see the crestfallen look on her face. And it was like, what the fuck? I was like, oops, not sure how they approach those questions in this group. But here's the thing. And it's what I shared with that person too. The goal isn't to heal it because that's not possible, but rather to disidentify from the old story and wound. So Bill says, the wound becomes sacred when you are ready to release your old story and become the vehicle through which your soul story can be lived into the world. So it's still there, right? But we just disidentify with it. We stop over-identifying with it. So you see, we don't need the core wound to heal in order to live our soul purpose, in order to live a fulfilled life. In fact, we need that wound because our gift is inextricably connected to our wound. And without it, we would have no fertile soil for our soul gift to grow. Once I asked Bill, do you think that people who say they've had a wonderful childhood without much suffering are full of shit? And there's a long backstory leading up to that question, but you get it. And he said, well, there's likely something they're not quite aware of yet. But if that is true, I feel somewhat sorry for them. Because in Jungian psychology, it's said that a core wound is required for psychospiritual growth. Without it, we have nothing to work with to encourage that growth. And that really sunk in with me. And it reminds me of, in Buddhism, there's like the goddess and god realm where there's no suffering for eons until the very end where there's aging, sickness, and death that also drags on for eons. But, you know, death for those in the perfect goddess and God realm is that much more devastating because of not being able to practice beforehand with other types of suffering. This is why human rebirth is so ideal in many ways. So when you're like, oh yeah, it would seem pretty sweet to be in the goddess realm. It's like, oops, maybe not because it's too protected 
to be able to learn to handle the reality of life and to grow in essential ways. As an aside, one of my Tibetan teachers, Geshe Sultrim Geltsen, said, the goddess realm was like California with healthy, happy people everywhere that will be devastated when they finally do grow old and start to wrinkle and get sick. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> so, so we are patiently allowing the suffering from our core wound that transforms into the sacred wound. We're allowing the suffering to do its work. And we're not attached to the pain. We're not clinging to it, indulging it, nor are we repressing the pain. We aren't dwelling in attachment or aversion. And when we can sit with that, at some point we reach awareness and insight about our deepest truths. Bill says, but you must avoid making sense of your pain too soon, finding relief too quickly, blaming someone for your anguish or seeking revenge. Don't cave in and seek refuge in self-blame, self-pity, or playing the role of victim or martyr, or through denial, cynicism, abandoning your own dreams and values, or paranoid confidence in a never-ending series of further woundings. Allow the wound to do its work on you, even if you descend into a pit of hopelessness. If you remain there long enough, you'll be shorn of the personal patterns and attachments that must die so you can be reborn into a greater life. So you can see why this work requires some foundational skills, right? Our core wounds are old and painful aspects of us that have been with us for as long as we can remember. For most of us, you know, there's kind of two common beliefs. One is something's wrong with me and I'm bad. Or something about I have to change or fix something about myself to be lovable, which is another way of saying I'm broken, right? So if you know these two thoughts or beliefs well, know that these are common thought patterns that arise from a core wound. It may not be one of those two, but many, many, many core wounds are based in those beliefs. And sacred wound work is centered around the truth that the way we live into our soul purpose, our unique way of belonging to the world, is inextricably linked to our deepest sensitivities and vulnerabilities. And how we relate to our sacred wound, our most painful place, is essential to embodying and living into our soul purpose. Because our core wound is also the place where we are most vulnerable and where we feel the most pain. It comes with other difficult emotions as well, like grief, terror, fear, anger, and rage, defensiveness, shame, stagnant and stuck energy. But in this work with our sacred wound, we can stop over-identifying with the core wound and instead embrace it and integrate it. And this eventually leads to a deeper authenticity, a greater sense of well-being with being our true selves. You know, the anxiety of who am I? Why am I here? What ifs? That starts to lessen. And we begin to identify less with our social roles and we orient our life based on our soul purpose. And this, my friends, is a huge part of helping our communities heal, as well as our greater earth community and the more than human world. 
So I'll close with a poem by Mary Oliver. She writes, and this is part of the poem. In my sleep, I dreamed this poem. Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this too was a gift. So I invite you, if you feel ready, to begin the exploration that will take the core wound and transform it into the sacred wound. We can begin by not turning away from the difficult emotions, but to access our wholeness, you know, our facets of the north, south, east, and west of our whole self to be able to bear witness to this core wound from a place of self-compassion and strength and be willing to explore that and not just try to get rid of it or put a Band-Aid on it, but to begin to know it as our friend from which we will learn so many great things that will help our soul purpose grow and deepen and become embodied into this world. All right, until next week. Bye. If you like what you heard, spread the love and share it. And if you want to learn more about how to free your mind and free your life, check out rebelbuddhist.com and grab my free Rebel Buddhist training kit where you'll receive a video training on cultivating resilience, a copy of the gorgeous Rebel Buddhist Manifesto, and more. That's rebelbuddhist.com.